0: Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Swedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back. Buckle up and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking. The kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Well, welcome to you. It's so exciting to get together and to do these trainings, and I'm excited to have you here with us today as, long as, as well as our guest, Susan Bandipole. Uh Susan's going to help us learn how to help a grieving family, and during the next few minutes you're going to understand the dynamics of loss and grief and how it differs from one scenario to another, why we, even if we are close friends or have been affected by a similar loss, are often reluctant to face into the grief of others with them and what we can do about that. We're going to understand some common warning signs of unhealthy grief, what the Bible commands Christians to do about grieving and for grieving and for the grieving, and also how to traverse the challenging waters of being sympathetic without pretending to understand someone's precise pain. Today's guest, Susan Vandypool, founded the Families of the Fallen Protocol after the duty-related death of her husband. It's being used across the country and endorsed by experts, and Susan is a speaker as well as an author. She's certified in grief, crisis, and trauma counseling. She's in grief coaching, victim response, mediation, and a master life coach. Welcome to you, Susan. Thank you, Marnie. Thanks for having me. Well, it's so great to have you here, and this is kind of a topic that's maybe not so fun to talk about because um, none of yeah. us wants to yeah. think about losing someone we love, and uh, mm. you know, then we have people around us who've lost someone they love, and that's painful yeah. for us as well as. I think that we all tend mm-hmm. to feel a little bit inadequate <laughs> in those yep. moments. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> yep, or a lot, mm-hmm. a lot inadequate, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but yep. Um, agreed. Let's go ahead and maybe just give people the background of how you came mm-hmm. to to develop something like mm-hmm. a Families of the Fallen Protocol. What, what happened in your life yeah. that made you aware of this need?
1: Yeah, yeah. I my, my husband, as you said, was a Los Angeles City firefighter for many, many years and um, was exposed to some chemicals and died as a result of that chemical exposure. And so going through the The difficulties um, of being a widow, uh, a lot of the societal and cultural vulnerabilities that no one really knows about unless they've gone through that um, scenario and and grieved the loss of a spouse, I began to just pray about it and talk with other widows and see that there were a lot of common threads that we had um, in our grief, but... but, um, allowing for the, the special unique differences in everybody's grief, too. But the things that, that stood out to me were the common threads, that we needed help in a lot of different um, ways as we grieved. There were a lot of people that wanted to help. From, for, for me, for fire departments, they wanted to help the very close-knit community and were grieving themselves. And from our church body, they wanted to help. And I saw, though, that there was no real plan. That, like you said, people felt awkward. They didn't have the tools they needed to um, really successfully minister to me or other women that I've spoken with. And so the mm-hmm. Lord began to birth a vision um, in my heart and life to develop a protocol, a real practical protocol initially for fire departments to use when they came alongside the family of, of a grieving or of a. Of a um firefighter who had passed away, and um it was a way also to help them grieve, because I know as a lot of people are aware of firefighters, their suicide rates are on the rise, and they're they're men, and so they tend to not feel like it's a a strong um character trait to grieve, but we all need a way mm-hmm. to express our grief and um to become more resilient, stay healthy. Um, mentally and emotionally and spiritually and physically. And so having a plan uh, for firefighters was absolutely the ticket that they needed um, to be able to express their grief without compromising all that's masculine about being a firefighter. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and so there's been some um, law enforcement agencies that are beginning to pick up on the protocol, a little bit of contact with the military, and just needing a plan. Uh, from the voice of experience but also research-based. So that's kind of how Families of the Fallen uh, began and then the Lord um, encouraged me to develop the same kind of a thing for the body of Christ. Because after the the meals are gone and the cards stop coming, that's usually when the most intense grief hits and people are a bit at a loss as to what to do.
0: Yeah. Well, before we um before we get into the practical how-tos, the word protocol here is used mm-hmm. kind of uh it's not something that we're used to. Maybe what does protocol mean?
1: Yeah. Protocol in this sense is a is a paradigm or I'll say a model that initially fire departments can implement um immediately after the line of duty death of a firefighter. So, um it gives um the parameters for contacting a widow, why having a real checks and balances kind of a system in place is important, as in they call a widow, but say they're a married man and she's single. That's a little awkward. What does his wife think? Does she call a fireman? How often do they call? How how much help do they give? Do they sit there and let her cry on their shoulder? Probably not a good idea. Um, But she has issues, um, all women. This is common financial issues after the death of the spouse. Um, sometimes there's legal issues with firefighting. Sometimes there's media issues to deal with. Um, there's workman's comp, pension issues. Um, there's the practical things of life that, that stare at you every day. Like the tile in the bathroom is still broken. And it tells that woman that every, every day she passes it, her husband's gone and she doesn't know who to trust. She doesn't want to look in the yellow pages. Widows get ripped off all the time. Um, so it's a, it's a set guidelines to help a fire department or the body of Christ, or, or actually any any organization or business can um, incorporate the guidelines from that protocol, that model, that those rules um, into how they reach out to a grieving family.
0: Yeah, and that was something that I was really eager to have you say or have us say here is that even though this was designed for firefighters, it's something that's kind of missing in the broad uh, spectrum yep. of culture here, and it can yep. really be crossed over. So let's go ahead and yep. dive in. We have to move a little um, quickly here because we're short on yep. time today. But um, the dynamics of loss and grief, grief, how does that differ from one scenario to another?
1: Yeah, I think, th- first, th- a good way to look at that might be what is normal in grief, which which may look terrifying to somebody who hasn't been through um, a severe loss before. But but really, it can be extreme. It's full of extreme up ups and downs, and that's normal. Grieving is normal. The Bible says, blessed are those who grieve. They'll be comforted. So it's a necessity. Um, probably some of the normal things that might shake somebody else up would be um, somebody who's had a loss. They might um, be very, very angry. Um, they might be very numb. They might um, simple things, the day-to-day life they can't do. They might lose their balance. Um, they might um um, be unable just to cope in society in general. Um, some of the differences are going to depend on that person's past loss experience and their severity. How old somebody is is going to have a lot to do with how different uh, a grief scenario is. Adolescents a lot of times don't have a previous, any previous experience with loss, so they don't know that it's going to get better they don't have anywhere to stick that grief. You know, they don't have a file folder unless somebody walks through it with them. Um, okay. If there was trauma involved in that loss, the the grief is going to be more complicated. Um, there's the kind of ambiguous losses, I think we call it in in life, kidnappings, um, where you don't know where that loved one is. You don't know if they're alive or, or dead. Um, elderly people suffering um, from dementia, the person is... Uh, Physically present, but mentally absent. That's a very, very difficult type of grief. Mm -hmm. The types of grief that we don't often acknowledge. Miscarriage. It's an extreme Mm -hmm. type of loss, and and, uh, it's not often acknowledged. Um, Probably the least acknowledged loss is sibling loss, especially Mm -hmm. as we age. Um, Also, the loss of a friend. It's different. Um, Firefighters or military... um, Law enforcement—they'll often have multiple losses. Sometimes, after one incident, but but many times over a career, um, there's the unspeakable losses we call them: abortion, suicide, and even um, abuse and abandonment. There's grief involved in those. So, um, a lot, a lot differs. And I mean, in a way, it's it's a really wonderful kind gift of God. He allows us our own treasure. So for someone to say, I understand your grief is never, ever, ever true, even if we've been through a similar loss. God God lets it be our own grief. And um, his word says that he'll give us the treasures of darkness and the hidden wealth of secret places so that we'll know it's him, that he's the one calling us by name. and And that's our treasure.
0: It is so important for us to not say I totally understand what you're going through right now. Yeah. But yeah. you know no matter what we've been through and you know even people who've been through extreme loss I've heard say that exact phrase to somebody and I'm like, "Wow, you still didn't really learn that." even though you've been through extreme loss, it's not exactly the same as their extreme loss. And I think that because we know that there are things that are right and wrong to say, it does make us pretty uncomfortable. Um, It makes us reluctant to talk to somebody because we might say something hurtful. We don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. Um, Where do we go with that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think first kind of uncovering that lie, you know, in general Satan loves to isolate a person. That's in in um nature. We see it the weakest or the smallest or the youngest, they get isolated and they're attacked. And so Satan Satan uses that same thing and he lies us, lies to us and um tells us to isolate ourselves or to or for the onlookers to let that person stay isolated for a prolonged period of time. And so um I think that's that's some of the lie, but a lot of of what it is you you spoke about, a lot of people don't understand. They haven't been taught. They don't have the tools. Um, churches, like you said, we don't talk about it. Even though you know we can easily say it's epidemic. It's a sure thing. People are going to die. Everyone's going to hmm. suffer a loss. Okay. And um, it's just interesting that the Bible, and we'll talk about that in a bit. I know what the Bible tells the believer to do and how to handle loss and how to come alongside somebody, but there's not a lot of teaching about it, not a lot of training available. It'd be kind of like you telling me we're going to take this homeless person and build them a house, go do it. Well, I know it's the right thing to do. I know God's called me to do it, but I don't know how to do it. And each person, there's, there's different jobs that have to be done, plumbers, electricians, drywall, foundation... So the whole body needs to take part in it, but we need to know what we're doing too. We need to be trained and taught. But also, I think it's hard and it hurts, it hurts to look mm-hmm. into someone else's grief with them, but that's where the treasure is and that's what God God calls us to do. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I think we just have to, you know, I I always like the verses in the Bible that talk about being led by the Spirit and Mm -hmm. how critically important it is for us to listen and not just go by, well, I said this one time and it worked really well, but (laughs) instead going by, you know, what is the Spirit prompting? Is it silence? Is it an action? Is it a word? Is it a hug? Uh, You know, I mean, we don't have to necessarily just fly into every situation knowing what to do. We can walk by and live by the Spirit and, and be prompted that way. What's yeah. this that the Bible actually commands Christians to do for grieving?
1: Yeah, well, primarily the body should, in 2 Corinthians 12, just burgeoning with wonderful truths about the body working together as a whole, having compassionate, sympathetic um, relationships with each other, and it says that if one member suffers, the whole body suffers. And I think it would be like, um, a good analogy would be uh, jamming our toe into a door jam. So our toe is killing us, we've broken it or we've jammed it or we've, whatever, fallen on the floor screaming, holding the toe. But the rest of our body really um, bears the distress mm-hmm. of what's happened to our toe. And it does for quite a while. It affects everything that we do. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that's a good, good analogy about the body of Christ um, coming alongside and and understanding what they they need to do, we follow jesus's um example. He was moved often with compassion, and he says that he's he's a compassionate god he He literally feels what we feel um with us Galatians a favorite galatians six two bear one another's burdens that that word burden. In the Greek, is a military term, and it means that we've packed well for the journey. So we're a soldier. We're walking out on this journey of grief. We've got our backpack full of provision and resources, including the body of Christ and God's word. And as we walk along that journey, ideally, that burden, that load, lightens. And because we're taking out the provision, God's provision. So with the body of Christ coming along, helping, that burden is is so much lighter. We're supposed to be of one mind and um, having compassion and for each other. And I think the closer our walks are with Christ, the more natural that tendency will be to turn into and face into someone's grief um, with them. I think it's important to know. Also, you know, the body understanding what happens to a person while they're they're grieving. Who, who's ever listening? This will this will help. First of all, like we talked a little bit before, don't ever be shocked by how someone expresses their grief. There's no right and wrong way to do it. And we try not to condescend as we minister, try not to judge. And like you said, really, honestly, the best thing to do is to be there for the long haul. There's no not much need to say, to say anything. Hugging, praying, holding a hand, um, crying, and grieving just with that person. So it's hard because it's a long-term... Um, physical, not just spiritual, emotional, but a physical effect on the body. And, and so it's kind of in a state of emergency. Instead of fight, flight and freeze and then a resolve, we're, grievers are always in a state of tension. And so to get that grief from the right side of a person's brain, where the seat of our emotions is, to that left side of the brain where they can reason and, and process that grief, it has to be expressed and so they need to to understand i think that that the grief is something that has to be worked through and the bible commands us to come alongside somebody and walk through that with them and not look away
0: i love how you said that um when when you're working with someone who's grieving is there a point at which you should become concerned i mean you've said that you know some of the grief um reactions can be very, very extreme and that's normal. So at what point would you say that it's unhealthy? Like that it's not that someone close should say, you know, I'm I'm a little concerned now Mm -hmm. that this is not looking normal.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think in general if I had five seconds to answer that question I would say when grief stops moving, you never simply move on. Sometimes people want to say, Okay, let's go. It's been a year Let's move on. There's no there's no time limit. It's our grief stays with us and God uses it as a foundation for the rest of our future and it, it does continue to be a treasure and speak to us. But but when grief stops moving, in other words, when it stops being expressed, it um stops functioning for an extended period of time. The person is disabled perpetually. They're extremely antisocial. They um have start having suicidal discussions um maybe uh, intense fear, anxiety, a real, um, sometimes a real negative sense of self is um, something to be very, very well of, uh, aware of. And I think on the flip side, a real small percentage of people who are grieving are able to to oddly enough function very clearly immediately after a loss. But that's, that's really unusual. Um, so I, I would I would say when when that person is stuck and prolonged, um, some of the real specifics would be a denial of death. Some people, if they're stuck and they are reversing, they are not moving, their grief is not moving, they'll be denying the death of that person. Sometimes they'll pretend or imagine that person is um, alive. Um, If somebody starts giving away their belongings and is talking about not wanting to live, a real real obvious um, Mm -hmm. unhealthy way to grieve, real pervasive thoughts of um, guilt, worthlessness. Um, Those are real, real um, signs that that person needs to get some help, needs to get some counseling.
0: Yeah. You know, right now I I can think of... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was was just going to say
1: that one more thing, healthy healthy grief, you know, after time... um, for the christian begins to bear fruit good fruit so ideally you want it bearing good fruit and there comes a time when there's parts of grief that isn't helping that person anymore they helped at the beginning but but after a while they're not healthy anymore And god is faithful to to skim off that dross of unhealthy grief and that way we just get to keep the treasure of the grief not Mm -hmm. what's toxic to us if that makes
0: any Mm -hmm. sense Mhm yep. yeah yeah and having said that it's so important to remember that you're not supposed to be bearing fruit all the time even though you're always bearing fruit so thinking of that you sort of a a little seed and it, it's not bearing fruit as a seed and then a little sapling and it's still not bearing fruit. And then it goes into, yeah. you know, full, full blossom. It's still not bearing fruit, but then finally the mm. fruit comes. And then after that comes a period, a season of rest where it's not bearing fruit again. Yeah. And so Great it's really word. important. Yep. Yeah. When we're going through this yeah. or watching someone go, don't just expect them to be bearing fruit, bearing fruit, bearing fruit. They are, they are, but um, it, it's just a season, you know, which season are they in right now? It's a, yeah. Um, to be careful yeah. about that. You know, yeah. I was going to say, I can think of right now just three recent widows in our church as well as other people in my life who are grieving. And it's, mm-hmm. it's sometimes the reason that a person doesn't step in and help more is because it's overwhelming. It's like, I don't, yeah. I'm just one person. I can't possibly uh, provide mm-hmm. anything useful to these people. And what would you say to that person who wants to help but just feels like if I do one thing, I have to do everything?
1: Yeah. yeah you know the the irony of that is that one thing can change that life because remembering remembering is very sacred. can't tell you I think this is um i I don't think there's an exception to what I'm going to say. Every person I've ever spoken with who has had a loss um, has said people just go on. Like, it it's, yeah. it never happened. They don't want to use his name. They just um, don't want to talk about it. And I just... If somebody would just say his name or say her name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, for example, I, I got an email a year ago about a, a widow, someone I didn't know, but someone had asked me to pray for her. She'd lost her husband unexpectedly. And um, on it, she, she sent along her email address. And so I just sent just some love from a stranger I'm praying for you and I used her husband's name and I, she has a tremendous uh, support network around her which is really important um, you know to to, um, I think becoming resilient and, and moving forward through someone's grief is having a good support network but um, that one email has turned into a year of love you um, I'm here I'm, I'm with you I'm praying today mm-hmm. for you, prayed this for you today, um, heard this song today and thought of you. One liners every other month. Um mm-hmm. and now she and I are, are friends. We've mm-hmm. become friends. And she said, mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't need you to solve the world. I just needed someone to keep saying <laughs> his name, to remember. And Jesus yep. Jesus said one of the last things he said was Remember me and do this in remembrance of me and be very intentional. And so the small things, we can't ever, ever underestimate um, the impact of the small things, especially after three months, six months, one year after the loss. My husband's been um, gone for almost ten years, and I still have some friends who send a card every year on the date of his death. Just a couple of them that they remember. Mm -hmm. It's life-changing.
0: How do we challenge the waters of being sympathetic um, without pretending to understand someone's precise pain?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, you said it bottom line is we are fearfully, wonderfully, beautifully, amazingly made and God allows us each to be a unique person and so we we grieve in a completely unique way each time, even if per loss, um, if a person has suffered at more than one loss over their lifetime, which is very common, each each time they're going to grieve differently. Um, yeah. But I think what we were talking about, being there for the short term and the long term, let them talk a lot. Um, and understand that, again, most of the help disappears six months a year down the road when the grief is, is really quite intense. Um, we talked about it, don't be trite. Um, scripture, it's true, but immediately... After a death, six months down the road, it's still not well, all things work together for the good um we you know truth truth um bears fruit, but just understand that we don't need to give someone an answer, give them the scripture, the obvious scripture because jesus really he gives us way more than an answer if he if he said, "This is why I check your loved one," that'll have to be good enough that still wouldn't that wouldn't be enough. We've lost
2: them. We're
1: gone, and <laughs> right. we've been torn. And he gives us a lot more, a lot more than an answer. So for a caregiver to um, try to put Jesus in a box and say, here's your scripture, here's your answer, it's never good. Um, let the person talk about things, again, that may shock you, regret and blame. Those two are thieves in the long run, but if someone needs to talk about it, um, how they're feeling, let them. Let them talk. A big part of grief is one person expressing their grief and having the other person listen and respond and um, and allow them to talk. Be intentional, I would say. Uh, incorporate a plan like the, the protocol we were talking about, incorporate a plan. Um, be very intentional about having grief-share groups within the body of Christ. I love grief-share. Um, again, don't say, I know how you feel. Another big one is Someone may be expressing what they're going through, wanting to relive and recall um, what's happened to their loved one, saying that, you know, I know how you feel I went through, or my, my husband, or my grandparent, or my child. Really, really try to stay away from inserting your own story into their grief um, because we don't want to minimize their grief. We don't want to minimize the caregiver's grief either, but it's not the time to talk about that. Um, encourage them to use their loved one's name with other people and as a caregiver use use their name. Try to remember simple things, like you were saying, the simple things. Remember the date they died. Put it on your phone. Re- remind yourself. Um, remember their birthday um, and give grace. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. And that that word, um, forgiving one another, literally, is gracing one another. So we can be kind to one another, gracing one another, just as God in Christ has graced us. Um, and encourage the person who's grieving to give themselves grace as well. Encourage them to give grace to other people who don't know what they're doing <laughs> and don't know what they're saying. Um, get Get some training get some training encourage your church body to get some training have someone come in and talk about grief regularly offer grief share incorporate this protocol um into their day-to-day life as a church body is is um ideal
0: yep yeah beautiful so much great stuff here i just love it mm-hmm. and i'm going to quote that mm-hmm. uh forgiving equals gracing i love that that's mm-hmm. that's Thank so me. so true well, today's uh, program is How to Help a Grieving Family with Susan VandePol, and you can find her over at com. Just type in Susan, a bunch of Susans will come up, or Vandepoel is V-A-N-D-E-P-O-L. You can get her directly there. And the name of her protocol is Families of the Fallen. Thank you so much for being here, Susan.
1: Mm, thank you, Marnie. What an honor. Thank you. Thank you for what you do.
0: Thank you And thank you for listening. This is Marnie Sleberg, and we're going to take a short break and come back and hear from Nick Castellano, who is a wonderful trainer on how to position our hearts and our minds in a way that God is honored and God can bless us financially. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
2: WomenSpeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit WomenSpeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com.
0: Welcome back. This is Marty Swedberg, and our program today is a half-and-half program. Our uh, scheduled guest was set today, and so we are Susan Bandypole a pre-recorded program, How to Help a Grieving Family, which you just heard. And now we're going to move into Nick Castellano. He did a program with us a couple years ago, and then he went on to help us with godlywealth.com which is an expo talking about how to get in God's favor. This is the original program with Nick Castellano. You'll hear 30 minutes of it, and after that, I'll help you understand how to get the rest of this story. So here's Nick. Hi everybody, this is Marnie and I welcome you not only to Marnie's Friends today, but to a brand new year, a brand new chance for you to step back, kind of look at what's been working, what hasn't been working, what's going to change in 2013 and beyond. And our guest today is the perfect guy to help us think about this upcoming year and about how we're going to process what's going to happen so that we can Uh, Be the best we can be, enjoy all that God has for us, and our guest today is Dr. Nick Costolino. He's the author of Awaken the Sleeper, and he is uh, an amazing person. His bio is longer than the book, I think. No, not really, but he's just an incredible guy. Um, He utilizes the application tools of quantum physics, science, and the Word of God to show that there is only one truth, that we have all the power, dominion, and authority on this planet, and now is the time... To, for the sleeper to awaken, and for us to walk as sons of God. So I'm going to welcome you, Dr. Nick Castellino.
2: I appreciate that. Thank you very much.
0: It's great to have you here. I have to tell you that I have uh, literally devoured your book. i got highlights all the way through it. <laughs> and oh, when
2: excellent. I was
0: reading it, I was like, oh my goodness, this guy's amazing. And uh, I, I saw him on the same page with you uh, in what you're trying to communicate with two people and learned so much from your book. I just first want to tell you, thank you for writing it.
2: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that.
0: I really you, wrote it for me,
2: and uh, <laughs> and then everybody else just gets to see what the process I went through.
0: I, it's just an amazing, amazing book. And, you guys, it's called um, Awaken the Sleeper. What you start, you start with this incredible day where you decided, and I don't think it happened all in one day, but there was a day that you woke up and you said, I'm going to um, create my day. That's correct. And reading your story just kind of took my breath away because I was... I still have a lot of questions about that, actually, (laughs) because there's a lot of questions to have about, are we really supposed to? Does God really want us to create our day? Are we supposed to uh, take that much responsibility for it? And I think that for the listeners, I want us to just start with with a little background of how did you ever even come to the point where you felt like it was maybe something that God wanted you to do or something that you could do to say, I'm going to create a day?
2: Yeah, uh, when I you know when I read in the in the word about this power dominion and authority stuff that I had all power dominion and authority, and that I you know based on my words I could take a mountain and throw it into the sea or I could talk to a tree and he'd die if I wasn't happy with him, um, you know that started to get me uh, thinking, and then I started to go into the quantum physics realm and the science realm because my background is uh, I was a nuclear power chemistry instructor, so. Uh, as a nuclear power chemistry instructor, I wanted to understand from my place where I come from nuclear power and from the word if they were saying kind of the same thing or not and uh then, as I got deeper into nuclear power, I got into quantum physics, and quantum physics through the double slot experiment is saying the same thing that the word says now faces the substance of things so far the evidence thing's not seen, and the double slot experiment is saying that exact thing that All things are wave potentials until looked on by an outside source, a man, a person that looks on it, expecting it, and then it collapses the quiff. What was a wave potential becomes a piece of matter. So based on where you created it from, where you were resonating from, where your emotions were, you created it. So if you don't like your life, okay, get over it. The good thing is that uh, you can change it. The bad thing is you did it.
0: Hmm. How... So you're talking about uh, the wave potential becoming a piece of matter. How do how do the laws of quantum physics actually affect our future, or like how or how much we can change?
2: Well, and, and when it when it is quantum physics, uh, I believe it's really science showing how God does stuff. Uh, we're, we've got so small into the realm that we can see that all things are made out of energy. Now, I mean, when they did a breakdown of an atom, and atoms is what I taught and how to split an atom, nuclear power, right? Uh, protons and neutrons are just something are made up of something called quarks, which are just energy packets. Two up quarks and a down quark is a proton. Two down quarks and up quarks is a neutron. Then an elect so so now all of a sudden we got rid of our matter for the proton and neutron. Oh my gosh! Now what are we going to do? The only thing left was that electron, that little piece of matter, that nice electron. And And then all of a sudden, with a double-slot experiment, they took that away from us, saying it was acting as a wave until looked on by an outside source. And now we understood that everything was energy. Everything that we have, everything we see is energy. But this isn't taught in schools, but the the new sciences are all teaching that everything is made of energy, and it's based on the thoughts and the intents of your heart, what you create in your day.
0: You spend um, you spend some time in your book going through this wave, um, the actual the actual experiments that were done, and how right. you know w- the wave actually. If, if somebody hasn't read your book, the wave actually changes depending on whether someone's looking at it or not.
2: Uh, that's correct, and uh, it would act like a wave potential if nobody was looking at it. It'd just come off as a wave potential, thousands and thousands and thousands of wave potentials, and see each potential is based on, where are you coming from? If you're coming from one of the potentials, that's the reality you can create. If you're coming from another place, say a place of peace, joy, and love, you can create a potential that has a peace, joy, and love. Or you can create a place of que Sarah, whatever will be, will be. Or you can create from a place of fear, and you can't help but create more things that bring fear. So it's our choice being the one that's sending the creative force out and the the website would be if you looked on if they wanted to look on YouTube would be Dr. Quantum Double Slit Experiment, and it's on YouTube, and it's a great uh, rendition done done by Dr. Alan Wolf. He, he's a quantum physicist, and he does it in a cartoon format, and it really makes it easy for anyone to understand it.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, it's it really just sets you back, and you have to say, okay, wait a minute, maybe everything that I've believed about how things are working here isn't quite exactly what's going on. You talked about if we come from a perspective of fear, or if we come from a perspective of joy, it changes how things are going to happen for us. Um, why exactly? How or why does our perception of who we are actually impact how we're going to change in 2013 and beyond?
2: Well, if we if we believe uh, that we are a less than inadequate, not enough. Uh, victims then anything the only thing that we can possibly create in our life has got to be things that that reinforce the place of less than not enough and victim you're creating that reinforcement because your subconscious mind must be right you must always be right so if you believe things always happen to you you are right if you believe bad things happen in threes uh, you're right again uh... here comes one and there must be two more okay boom and boom there you go are you happy now good or if you believe you go from glory to glory to glory, you're right as well. But typically, our mindset or who we believe we are is the the place that we create from. If we believe we're, we're more than than enough, if we believe that we're an overcomer, if we believe that we're uh, uh, well able, if we believe that when this goes away, that's no big deal because something better is coming, then that's what comes into our life. It's it's from the pl- that place that we create from is what we create. As the next step for example two guys lose their job one guy sees himself standing on a street corner holding up a sign saying we'll work for another guy same job same thing he sees himself going finally now I can do what I love to do
0: Right.
2: same same place different attitude so it's all about where we create from and the emotions attached to that picture that we create in our subconscious or in our mind
0: mm. I studied a lot of um, Tony Robbins stuff, and you talk a little bit too about what physiology and body language have to do with change. Just take us there for a few minutes.
2: Well, physiology and body language, you can change from the outside in even. If, you're, if you dress nice, you get that uh, the, the cyclonic muscles of your eyes. They, they kind of point up, they look up, they, they, they look positive. You've got that, you know, the eyes are the windows of the soul. If you've got that, that, that fire in you, if you dress nice, you can't help but emanate that, and then others see it like if when somebody comes into a room and there's somebody that knows that they know that they know who they are. you go, "Whoa, who's that guy?" and there's also when people come into a room they they feel very low and very down and very angry or upset, and you go, ooh, stay away from that guy!" Now none of that's visible, but you know you felt it, and you believe it from your gut of guts, so You can change that just based on the way you hold yourself, shoulders back, head up, go boldly before the throne of God, not go up there like some wimp going, please, God, help me. Mm. That's not what it says. It says go boldly because you're a prince in heaven. You're a king on earth. So why would you go like a wimp?
0: (laughs) That's so great. So what do you do? Like, okay, I have this thing that I do, like if I'm... I don't know. I'm just walking around. I just do this all the time. And I'm just walking around between places and, uh, like, in my home from room to room. I have a home office where I manage our three businesses. And I'll just all of a sudden just pump my arms in front, in front of me, just like a punch in a uh, punching bag. And just it's just an energetic thing that I do. Uh, it just gets my more going, and I just love to do that and feel like I'm alive and feel like I'm energetic, and I just do it for me. It's not for anybody else. It's just for me. But I love right. it. Do you have something that you do, when either when you're happy or maybe possibly when you're starting to feel a little bit down, that you change your physiology?
2: Well, uh, in physiology, what I'll do is, you see, if I've, my physiology starts to drop off, it means I've forgotten who I am. And so what I do is, uh, on my computer, everywhere I go, no matter what country I'm in, and in my car, I have my I am statement sitting there. So when I start to feel fear, lack, uh, discourage, I go, oh, I, there, there's my signal. I've forgotten who I am. And then I read my I am statement out loud, boldly, as many times as it takes to get me back to the place of, oh, yeah, I just forgot for a moment. I let circumstances control me instead of me control circumstances and so i get myself back into that place and then my whole body language changes
0: yeah so for those who don't know what is an i am statement
2: well uh, an i am statement is who you believe yourself to be not who others say you are in other words if you'd like i could read what i what mine is oh, I've, I've got, yeah, I, right. I i okay it says i am a person who never sees defeat i am always creating alternative ways to move forward All my actions are based on my why, my purpose. In life, I am committed to the principles of honesty and loyalty to myself, my God, and others. I am continuously learning to improve myself for the benefit of myself, my family, and others. I have a unique ability to present my beliefs and convert them into thoughts and words others can understand and implement into their lives. So that's my I am statement. And if if I start feeling drudgery or down or negative, it means I just forgot for a moment who I am, and mm-hmm. it, that's why I put this everywhere, this in my gratitude list, so that I could always get myself back on focusing on the right things, not on the things that only create more negative.
0: Mm. It's awesome. I have to tell you that um, you're actually <laughs> you're obviously living out your your I am statement because I heard you for three minutes in an interview that someone else did with you some time back. And during those three minutes, I just knew that I had to learn more about you and what you did. It just took three minutes for me to be completely um, interested in what you were communicating. So you're obviously being able to communicate in a way people can understand. I'm so grateful you're here sharing today. Well, thank you. How do you – how does a person – Well, I guess I'm going to back up just a second, because through your book, um, and and the book is called Awaken the Sleeper, through your book you talk a lot about being on purpose. So maybe just step back and say, when did you realize, how did you come to uh, realize, what's the importance of being on purpose?
2: Well, for me, uh, it's twofold. One, you look at it from the spiritual side, and one, you look at it from uh, from the physical fruit side, you know, wealth, health, prosperity, all that stuff. And and um, on the spiritual side, uh, you know, God created everything for a reason. God created everything for a purpose. Everything is unique, fearfully and wonderfully made, and it has its own purpose. And each person ran their own race. I'm not competing with anyone in this race, because only I am a king and a priest in this thing. So if I understand that, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made and the neat thing is he's given me talents and strengths that fit right into the thing he's called me to do and and so then it's so easy the thing that i'm supposed to do but the hard part is to embrace that thing and charge for that thing because we think well anyone can do that thing but no 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 only you Can do it that way. Only you. You were made for that thing. And so, typically, people that are starting to get on purpose, give it away for free. They don't even ask permission. They give it away. Oh, anybody can do that. No, 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 no. Don't sell yourself. This is what you do, and this is what will provide you wealth. And because you love it so much, you with that passion, you'll be able to. able to overcome all hurdles because you're so excited about every day getting up because you don't have a J-O-B, just over broke. You've got a thing you're called to do, the thing you love to do, and in that place is Shalom, health, wealth, prosperity, peace, joy.
0: Mm, that's so interesting. My son, uh, who's 25, we had a conversation over the holidays. We were talking about um, the concepts that you can do anything you set your mind to and i'm i'm curious what your take is on this because my take on that is that uh, you know and we go back to the bible and it says you know if you say to this mountain go be thrown into the water it will do that um you you can do greater things than even jesus did how how can that be but my take on that is that God created us, you know, the three billion base pair of DNA, all that stuff. God created each of us uniquely. So you're completely different than I am. We're we're the same human beings, but our, our DNA structure is very makes us very different. And I can absolutely do everything, anything that God created me to do. Now I can't do everything and anything that God created you to do because your DNA, your whole makeup is different from mine. So what's your take on that? Where do you where do you think about that?
2: I, I agree with what you're saying. Too many people try to do what their folks told them to do, what the industry told them to do, what the college told them to do, what everyone told them to do to be safe and comfortable instead of doing what they were called to do, which if they use a poor counsel, that poor counsel will say, oh, you can't do that. Oh, this is a terrible time to do that. Oh, you should never do that. No, what they're really saying is they should never do that. But you, that's the only thing you should be doing. And you should be doing it right now. So but, I yeah. agree with what you're saying exactly. But I'm saying that uh, too many people try to fit into the the mold of everyone else instead of being their own mold.
0: Well, and what really bothered me for so many years was in the goal training that you take, you know, to set your goals, they just, its it's almost like it's a um any goal is the the right goal and that's just so not true it's true that the goal that was set inside of you when you were constructed just like if i want to be a train but i was made to be a bicycle it's just not going to happen um you know so any goal isn't the right goal you have to you have to ask you know god to you have to seek out what it what are you here for and that's you know you talk about this on purpose and it's so important to go back to that on purpose and find out why you're here. What you know? What are you right. here for? How right. does um how do you help people to step back from maybe um thinking about their life the way they always have? Like maybe I'll do this or maybe I'll do that, uh, into finding why they're here, their real true purpose.
2: Well, I have a, a 15 question little uh, quiz I give students, new students, and I let them take that. No, no thinking, just fill it out quick. And then we go through that, and and throughout that quiz they'll they'll keep bringing up the passion, the passion, the passion that they have. Hmm. Typically not one of them do it. Never, you know, because it doesn't make sense to make money that way. So they won't do the thing they're passionate about. They'll do whatever the society uh-huh. job fits into, and, and and then they're frustrated and they're angry about okay. getting up on Monday and they can't wait for Friday. And they, instead of doing what they were uh, loved to do and are called to do, because his yoke is easy and burden is light, because he made you to do this thing. So that's the the and when as soon as they see it, then they go, okay. Now how do I change my programming in my head so I can allow myself to do this thing? And that's what I help them with the the repenting part. Renew your mind is what repent means. Think a new way because the old way ain't working for you.
0: That is an awesome way to use that word. I love that right there. That's so cool. I always say uh, I always say that everything is just kind of a perversion until you get on track with what God really intended something to be. It's just a little perverted, not in a sexual way, but just it's just a little off center. It's just a little not right, and and you're feeling that every day until you get really in sync with what God created you to do, and then all of a sudden uh, you're living on purpose and you're loving you're loving your life so much. How does somebody actually go about converting their talents into strengths in a you know in an intentional way?
2: Well, and see, and, and first of all, uh, there's a a, a, a a test called the talents and strength finder test. And uh, you can Google it, and it really helps. It was put together by uh, a couple of colleges and a a Christian guy named Erwin McManus, who wrote many, many, many books. Good, good buddy of mine runs a a church in um, California. But it helps you see your talents. There's 34 different talents that you, on purpose, develop into strengths instead of focusing on what you're not see society teaches us to focus on what we're not and make it mediocre instead of focus on what we are and make it excellent so what this does is take your top five that you always show up in no matter what number one you don't even realize you're it you're so much it and you can't even see it it's so much of you and you focus on taking that thing that you're good at and talented at and making it excellent and see, that's how we got to come into the Lord. Too many times we give a halfway effort, and then we sit there and say, oh, just cover it with grace. Well, what's excellent about that? There's no excellence in that. Excellence is when you get up early in the morning and you study, you spend time with Papa, then you study your craft so you can be the best at that thing. So when they come to you and they ask the question, you have the answer, and it's because you had the answer. Then they say, hey, how come you know so much? All glory and honor goes to God through Jesus Christ. Then that's your opportunity. Not please be like me because I'm broke and driving a busted down car. Be like that. No, I don't think I want to be like that. Thank you very much. Be a light and a salt.
0: I love what you just said there. I always say, if um, if I don't have to be politically correct, what I like to say that I do is I just, I'm just i the personal assistant to the king of the universe. And every morning I spend a little bit of time with him in private, you know, getting my instructions for the day and all that. And then I go out all day and run his errands with his power and his, his resources. And that is what you really train people to do here. You really train us to fully embrace that position because, we have so much power. God has given us so much power. I just love what you are doing. <laughs> I'm so grateful. Uh, I wanna I wanna talk about. I want you to go back now, and I want you to actually share the story of the day when you knew that this was what you were supposed to train people, um, that they could actually really take this power and live it out, because. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about next about how to create the outcomes you desire. But there are so many people who hear this stuff and they're like, "That's not for me. That's just hocus pocus. That's all. That's ungodly to think that way." And I want you to just go back and tell the story in your own words of uh, the day that you knew you were supposed to share this information.
2: Well, I would known that so much of what I was doing was uh, was not working. In other words, I was so frustrated because it, uh, you keep on feeling like you're hitting an imaginary wall that's not there. A ceiling that you can't see and you keep almost getting it. Almost getting there to five-yard line and then you fumble. It's almost over the goal line. And so you got frustrated. So I'm sitting there saying, "I got to go uh talk to my papa." And I realized through a genealogy thing, uh you know, God is my father. Jesus is my brother, and I'm not under Jesus. I'm beside him in the genealogy chart. So if we can get that, first of all. We can raise our position. And when it says we've been created a little bit greater than the angels, we can get that. Or when it says we can judge the angels at the end of time, we can get that. But that's only what the Bible says. What the heck do they know? But we've forgotten who the heck we are, and that's what we've got to get back to. But anyway, so that day I said, you know what, I'm going to get up early. Got up about 4 a.m., sat outside, got quiet, relaxed. And then I recognized who I was, and I got into an attitude of gratitude, thanking him for all the things I got. And that, to me, I took myself up to heaven, if you will, and, and I took myself up, and I saw Peter being an ex-Catholic boy. There's old Pete. So he helps me up, and uh, we're talking a little bit, and then he says, someone wants to see you. So I, he opens the gate, and I walk in, and there's this, this beautiful, strong-looking dude, tan, green eyes, and it's Jesus for me. And he gives me a big hug, and he's we're chatting a little bit, and he says, Papa wants to see you. Now, I usually, at that point, I'm like, I was crying sitting there in the chair because I realized that the, 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 the creator of everything wanted to see me. I'm like, what the heck is that? Man, so Jesus hands me this robe out from under His, and I put it on, and I walk forward, and I'm all, you know, oh my God! And they go, and I say, no, boldly before the throne. So I throw my shoulders back, I put my head up, and I walk into the throne room like a prince. And as I'm walking into the throne room, He catches me. He's on this. There's all this stuff going on: cherubim, seraphim, people flying around, singing going on. And He is on the throne. He catches me out of the corner of His eye, and He says, shh. My son approaches. Now, all of heaven shuts up because I show up. Now, at that point, I'm finally getting, who the heck am I? I walk up. I'm 6'4", 260 pounds, lift weights, you know, all that stuff. And I look up at the throne. I go, Papa, can I sit on your lap? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: He chuckles, picks me up, puts me on his lap. And we just talk, and we just talk, and we talk for a long time. And then he looks at me and goes, what do we want to create today? Mm-hmm. And I, so I'm co-creating with Papa God in the thing I was called to do. So I say, let's let's make that stock that I've had for three years, let's make it go public. Well, and later on that day, it's about 2 p.m., I get a call from somebody very excited. You know that stock, nigga? I said, yeah, he said, it went public today. I went dude, I have 500,000 shares of that stock. I said, what would it go public at, 50 cents? He goes, no, $7. Yeah. I went, oh, my, that's $3.5 million. That's <laughs> one day. Yeah. So the next day, I do the same thing. I say, Papa, this could have been coincidence. I need to know that, because I'm an idiot and I'm a nuclear power guy, and i got to just know that I know, do something that, I, that couldn't be me no matter how we, we looked at it. So I'm driving down the road again to the afternoon and a buddy of mine calls, and he's a rather wealthy buddy of mine, he's a teacher as well, and he calls me He says, Nick, God's been dealing with me for a couple of weeks. I go, what's wrong? What's going on, man? And he goes, you know that land across the street from yours? I go, yeah, I know that land. He goes, that's a nice two-acre plot on top of a mountain. He goes, yeah, I'm supposed to give that to you. Well, that plot is worth $1.5 million. and And he, he says, so come over here, I'm going to sign it over to you, it's yours. And I pull over the car the side of the road because I'm bawling my eyes out because I realize in two days, just by having relationship and sitting on Papa's lap, I went from banging my head against this this invisible wall to $5 million that quick. And that's how quick it can turn around when you get on purpose and get things in the right order.
0: I love that that story. I love that story because it's so... um it's so huge. <laughs> it's, it's like uh, most most of the people that are going to listen to this, that are listening to it right now, or listening in the archives, they're going to go, well, I like that, too. I think that's what I want to create my first time I'm sitting on God's lap. I want to create <laughs> my own $5 million. <laughs> so what do you say to the listener who, maybe that isn't quite the thing that God has in mind for them today. Maybe it's that they have the energy to walk to the end of the block, you know, and well, they haven't and been I... able to do that for a while
2: and then that would be their spot because god's no respecter of persons and what he's done for one he'll do for any the key and the thing that we as christians don't get is number one thing is relationship relationship is a monetary unit of the kingdom of god so love god with all your heart soul and might love your neighbors yourself you're just the conduit for both ways so get into the relationship where it's a not about you attitude and all that comes When it's a not about you attitude, when you see everyone else's need, everyone else what they and then you ask permission before you give. You don't just give. You ask permission. Maybe he's working on that one, and then all of a sudden you'll become his provide the provider of that guy, and now you're his God. Ask permission and then give. So relationship's the key to the kingdom of God and it's the key to sales it's the key to everything It's relationship finding common union that's the pro- communication is the process of finding common union with others right so it isn't about you it's about getting what you have got to them in the best way they receive it and that's about the number one sales technique I ever taught my uh... my sales group in water treatment was how to become what they needed you to become to get it to them in the way they best receive it because it's not about you it's about the thing you believe in and you're selling getting to them.
0: You said so much right there. <laughs> One of the things that you said was you said a common union, which in my mind, of course, goes to the word communion right there. Right. Um, what we're supposed to be doing with God is communing with him all the time. Okay. And finding the places where we're at on the same page. And everybody wasn't supposed to be Job. Everybody isn't supposed to be Nick. Everybody isn't supposed to be Marnie. Everybody's supposed to be whoever they were created to be in Christ. How does, how does one go about figuring out what God wants you to ask for? What, what, how do you move from maybe a position of, let's say, a person's listening, and they've really never had the courage to ask God for much of anything other than an emergency crisis situation. How do you move into a position of asking him for anything and feeling confident that he would want to give it to you?
2: Well, and I would say when somebody says that, it's already there. It's already laid up for you. you just got to get where he's put your supply. Too many people sit by a dried-up riverbed, and the Ravens ain't coming anymore, much like Elijah, and, and don't move. Time to move. Go to where supply is. Don't stay in that place where you're just going to dry up and die. It's time to move. And, and, and that's where he's laid it up, and he's laid all that, play, that stuff up in purpose, the place you're supposed to be. So it's just a fruit of relationship. You don't have to seek $5 million. You seek relationship, and the fruit is health, wealth, prosperity, peace, and joy. Shalom. It's there. It's in there. It's like ragu. It's already there. But don't become one of those prosperity guys who's just seeking prosperity for prosperity's sake. You become a relationship guy, and then prosperity's already there because he wants you to be the light and the salt because he magnifies the son so the son may magnify the father. In that Oh,
0: my goodness. This is Marty, and we are out of time. To hear more from Nick Castellano, head on over to godlywealth.com. That's godlywealth.com. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Marty's Friends. We'll see you next time. Have a great week. Bye-bye.